One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is an apostrophe podcast production. Here's one little question that has no simple answer. How does being alone bring us closer? My name is Peg Fong. I'm a journalist and an educator. I've been researching this big and small, universal and insular topic. Come join me as we explore loneliness together. Let's go for a walk. The streets are dark and empty, but through one diner's large glass window, it is bright. The lights are on. You can see three people sitting around a counter. If you are feeling lonely out by yourself on the street, you might be tempted to go into this diner with the sign above saying five cent cigars and fillies. But strangely, there is no entrance to this place. And when you look more closely, you see no one inside is actually talking to each other. One man in a suit and hat is hunched over the counter, his back towards the window. His posture is unfriendly, unwelcoming. A man and a woman are sitting next to each other, on the other end of the counter. They are close, but apart. She is in a red dress and playing with a match cover, ignoring the man next to her. His expression is more clear, his mouth pursed together, his nose sharp and beak-like. He is a nighthawk. Even the clerk behind the counter, the fourth person in the diner, doesn't seem keen to serve another customer. So maybe you linger as you think about whether or not to go in. And you stay outside, looking in at these four people who are in the same place, but alone in their own thoughts, self-absorbed and separated from each other in their loneliness. At this diner, going inside, would only make you feel lonelier. 
a cat in a window looking out. The picture made New Orleans writer Michael Tisserand think about Edward Hopper, the American painter. Michael was walking with his dog. Self-isolation was just beginning. It was mid-March, and he was scrolling through Twitter and saw a photo of a cat. I was walking my dog, and I was multitasking. I was looking at Twitter while dog walking, and this was early on in the in this whole experience. And I saw a picture of a cat on Twitter that looked like an Edward Hopper painting. It just the light was a certain kind of light, and it just looked like, wow, that looks like an Edward Hopper painting. And then I kind of looked around and thought, I feel like an Edward Hopper painting. And then I, I thought about that some more and, and, and thought, wow, I bet, I bet a lot of us feel like Edward Hopper paintings right now. If it had been any other time, Michael Tisserand would have shared his thoughts with a real person, probably in the coffee shop where he often wrote his books. But the coffee shops were all closed, so he went on Twitter and posted four paintings by Edward Hopper, of people sitting inside, looking out. Twitter kind of mimics a coffee shop, right? They're just kind of people randomly talking about different things, you know, different tables, and you can kind of, you know, maybe join in or listen in. In December of 1941, the American people were anxious, nervous. Pearl Harbor had just been bombed. World War II was starting for them. There was no way of knowing what would happen in the months and years ahead. And Edward Hopper began working on what would become his most famous painting. Sitting in diners before the war started, already a bit of a loner and liking his own solitude, he observed and drew sketches of other people. In his sketchbook, Edward Hopper drew different versions of the two male customers that would later be in the painting Nighthawks. There was one man whose face Hopper never revealed in his sketch, with his back to him. Another in a suit and a fedora, just like the man with the woman in the red dress beside him. A month and a half after the U.S. officially went to war, Hopper finished what would become his most famous work, Nighthawks. Gail Levin, an expert who has written a book about Edward Hopper, wrote this. In this extraordinary burst of concentration and creativity, Hopper was finding the refuge from war anxiety. Using old motifs and themes, he had assembled his dispersed mind. Back alone in his studio, he created a scene that has resonated ever since. Four people at the beginning of a world war, facing the solitude of isolation as blackouts around them dim the prospects of a future, sat together around the only light available, inside a diner. Unconsciously, probably, I was painting the loneliness of a large city, he said. When Michael Tisserand sent out his tweet last March, he had a sense that the alienation around him, although new at the time, was also a reality that would stay for an uncertain amount of time in the future. He included four of Hopper's paintings. There was one of a woman staring outside a shop window, another of a woman sitting by herself in an empty theater, 
surrounded by rows of abandoned seats. A third is a man in an office, staring out his window. The fourth is the only one with more than one person. There is a man and a woman in a diner, sitting at separate tables. They look like they are about to connect. But that moment, if it was to come, isn't happening yet. When Michael Tisserand sent out his message, he wasn't sure what to expect. His observation was something he would have once casually made to an acquaintance or friends somewhere where he was around others. Instead, he sent it out without knowing who might read it. We are all Edward Hopper paintings now, he tweeted. So who goes to diners? Well, according to a famous parody called The Boulevard of Broken Dreams, James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, and Humphrey Bogart, they go to diners. Elvis is behind the counter. The diner in Hopper's Nighthawks is an amalgamation of different places, real and imagined. And in popular culture, diners represent these capsules of moments where people connect or they're waiting for a connection. Over sandwiches, Sally did a vocal and vivid demonstration for Harry in a diner. George, Jerry, Elaine, and Kramer laid out the terms of their contest over milkshakes and scrambled eggs in a diner. Walter White and Jesse Pinkman eat breakfast in a diner as their reward after days inside a camper cooking up batches of meth. It's where you go to get the blue plate special, a roast beef sandwich, or to eye your friend's unfinished half sandwich in a famous scene from diners. Richard Gutman, a consultant for the Barry Levinson movie, first became fascinated with diners when he was an architectural student at Cornell. He also consulted for the diner scenes in The Purple Rose of Cairo and wrote four books on the topic. To him, diners are places where there's a riot of patterns, a celebration of materials from stainless steel to ceramic tiles to formica. The counters are clean, but stacked with bottles of ketchup, salt and pepper shakers, napkin holders. In Edward Hopper's painting, all of that has been erased, and the interior has been distilled down into a space to communicate a mood of emptiness and loneliness. They're really just kind of waiting for something to happen, maybe waiting for the counterman to bring over a plate of eggs. There's a cup of coffee. You don't really know what's happening. And I think that that is also part of the great triumph of the painting is that it leaves so much to the imagination of the viewer that uh, it can go in many different directions and therefore it's a fodder for endless discussion as to uh, what people think is, uh, is going on inside that space. Diners are always the places where politicians go to connect with ordinary people. And Richard Gutman says the recent presidential election was the first in recent memory where candidates didn't order a cup of joe and bond over Adam and Eve on a raft 
or have a bow-wow with potential voters. There's a whole lingo in diners, something that connects diners with each other and with the people who work there. If you go into a diner and you speak that language, you're automatically seen as one of their own and welcome. Adam and Eve on a raft is two poached eggs on top of toast. A cowboy with spurs is a Western omelette with French fries. If you ask the person next to you at the counter to pass the hemorrhage, ketchup is coming your way. Unless you're a character in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Substitute whiskey down for burn the British and you want to change your order of rye toast for a toasted English muffin. Both go well with cow paste, or in diner lingo, butter. A bowl of tapioca is fish eyes, but if you're more in the mood for jello, you'll want to get the nervous pudding. My favorites are Eve with a lid is apple pie. A slab of virtue is a slice of cherry pie. It took me a while to figure that one out, even after Richard patiently explained what it meant. And we'll be right back. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. In the 1960s, art director John Bader roamed the streets of New York at night and on weekends, looking for the specific corner where Edward Hopper set the diner. Later, as a photorealist, he painted roadside diners. Critics began comparing his work to Hopper's. 
John Bader's diners are mostly on roadsides, not in cities, and almost always portrayed in intense daylight. He became so successful, his work in such demand, that he left his advertising job in New York. Bader began traveling across America on back highways to document these roadside diners. The New York Times art critic John Russell once wrote about John Bader, he lives diners, thinks diners, dreams diners, and paints diners. These days, John Bader can only remember diners. For 50 years, he painted and photographed them. Now, he can only think about diners as they were. Even before the pandemic, diners began closing down. And more painfully for him, macular degeneration, which is slowly robbing him of his sight, is taking its toll. He can no longer travel to find these diners. But there is a sense of you know, isolation and loneliness, not being able to do what you did, what you've done you know, for, for so many years. He remembers how visiting diners made him feel that going inside each one of them, there was something familiar. Even when he was among strangers, diners were always welcoming. Going in was like going home. He hopes to paint again using just his memory. This time, instead of daylight, in contrast to Hopper's night scene, John's diners will be surrounded in fog, a fading vision in his eyes and the fading of diners. But there will be one constant, whether hidden in the background or prominent in the foreground, his painting of diners will have roads. Because to John Bader, roads connect to something, even if it's to his past. It was a Sunday when the young man with a backpack carrying two books, an apple and an orange, and toothpaste, in anticipation of going to jail, looked down the road across the bridge. The day hadn't turned bloody yet, but it would. It was March the 7th, 1965. Below him, John Lewis figured, the Alabama River was about 100 feet down. The river flowed south and west. Behind them, hundreds of protesters had followed the leaders of the march, John Lewis and another man named Hosea Williams. They wanted to march towards Montgomery, the state capital about 50 miles away. In front of them, at the foot of the bridge, state troopers, police officers. They came towards the protesters who were about to kneel and pray. John Lewis, in recalling that encounter, said, And you saw these men putting on their gas masks. They began beating us with their nightsticks, tramping us with horses, releasing tear gas. I was hit by a state trooper with a nightstick. My legs went from under me. I thought I saw death. I thought I was going to die. I thought that was the last nonviolent protest for me. Even as he was being beaten, John Lewis never fought back. He had learned not to through training and preparation while he was a student in Nashville. They were taught how to not strike back at someone if they poured hot water or hot coffee down their back. 
or respond if someone called them horrible names. He was taught in workshops how to sit still and alone at the lunch counter. The sit-ins at lunch counters began in Greensboro, North Carolina. There is a photograph, also of four people. Unlike the Nighthawks painting, we know these names. At the Whites-only lunch counter at F.W. Woolworth Company, the four men walked in. Azel Blair Jr., Franklin McCain, Joseph McNeil, and David Richmond. And they did something that angered the Whites-only around them. Blair Jr., McCain, McNeil, and Richmond sat down. More than 50 years later, Will Harris, the principal scholar and historian of the International Civil Rights Center and Museum in Greensboro, can sit at that same counter in Woolworth. It's been kept as an artifact. The Woolworth in downtown Greensboro was designed to look like a Florentine palazzo. It was a mashup of architectural styles, Greek revival elements, and art deco details. Its lunch counters had qualities of what might be called monumentality, with its high ceilings and expansive room, which was also a sales floor. Its dining area is now being considered a candidate for the UNESCO World Heritage Site. And that's because of its significance when four college students walked into the deeply hostile environment on February the 1st, 1960. If you look at the uh, lunch counter before February 1st, it was definitely a together, you know, in terms of your framing. It was a, a limited together, which is to say the people who thought they belonged were present and could show up anytime they wanted. And not only show up, but, but, but in public, they could carry on this sort of rather intimate connecting uh, activity of eating with each other. The ritual of dining together among 50 or 60 other people in one place was a way of literally being together and publicly being together, of belonging. The problem was that belonging had, at that time, boundaries around it. Blacks could shop in the store and order food, but they had to get takeout. They were excluded from dining there, from sitting around the counter. Later, Frank McCain remembered in that simple act of sitting down at the counter where he was not supposed to, that it would change his life. He thought, if he was lucky, that he would get thrown in jail for a very long time. If he wasn't lucky, he would return to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical College in a pine box. Within 15 seconds after sitting on that stool, Frank McCain said he felt almost invincible. I feel as though I have made a down payment on my manhood, he said in an interview with NPR. On that day, February the 1st, Frank McCain said he did something as insignificant as sitting at a lunch counter. He asked for service something that he was not supposed to have. A photograph of the four of them at the lunch counter was taken on the second day when they returned again. Their faces are clearly determined. There is just the four of them still, but by then, they were no longer alone. 
That first day when they came in, there had been shock. They were refused service. Police arrived. But the Greensboro Four did not make demands. They weren't confrontational. Because the four were on their own, there was a huge sense of intense loneliness. What today, historian Will Harris calls a historic loneliness. They didn't even sit together on that first day. But around the L-shaped lunch counter, the four friends separated. Two sat on each side where the counter connected. And one can imagine that the, the sense of aloneness would be even exacerbated by the thought that the little bit that they were together with each other. The fact that they were in the same place as everyone else meant even less than it would otherwise because they were supposed to believe they did not belong there. So in a sense, it highlighted their singularity uh, as individuals, their difference, uh, and the fact that that difference of color uh, represented a, uh, an exclusionary principle of inferiority uh, or of rejection. So if you can think about kind of an aloneness that's kind of reinforced by the environment and by the context of other people. It was the people around them, Will Harris says, that made the Greensboro Four feel alone. But that aloneness didn't last. On day two, more students joined the Greensboro Four. Five days later, some 300 students joined the protest, paralyzing the operations of the diner. Across other lunch counters, there were more sit-ins. When other places got violent, when the students were dragged off stools or spit on or taken to prison, as John Lewis was in the Nashville sit-ins, they didn't respond with hatred. By the end of March, the act of sitting in peace at lunch counters had spread to 55 cities. By the end of that year, there were 50,000 nonviolent participants. Sometimes sitting at a counter can be just an act of four strangers being on their own. But to a painter who liked sitting on his own in diners and observing, they became the characters he needed to create his most memorable work. Edward Hopper was able to shut out everything else in order to bring life to a dark city where the only lights are inside a cafe. And writer Michael Tisserand recognized in a time of solitude and isolation in the beginning days of the pandemic that something he observed around him might be something others could connect to. And choosing a word deliberately out of a singular observation had meaning. He didn't write, I'm in an Edward Hopper painting. He wrote, we are all Edward Hopper paintings now. Hundreds of thousands of people have liked and retweeted Michael's tweet around the world, bringing a sense of connection from random strangers in Brazil, Taiwan, Europe, and North America, who all recognize themselves as being in Edward Hopper paintings. When you sit in a diner, even among strangers, in a strange place, you speak a common language. Let's go with the blue plate and finish with a slice of virtue. We'll get you the lunch special and cherry pie in any diner. The people in that diner, as dining consultant Richard Gutman and piano man Billy Joel would say, 
may be having a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. It's those memories of being in places where even as a stranger he felt welcome that sustains painter John Bader in his fading days. In Greensboro, North Carolina, historian Will Harris can sit at a lunch counter where that feeling of loneliness led to a historic change. You can wait out a war by sitting in an empty diner as those four people did in the Edward Hopper painting or you can sit at a lunch counter like the Greensboro Four did. That act of gathering around a lunch counter shoved history in the right path just a little bit faster than it would otherwise, sparking a movement that got more people to stand up and stand with others by sitting down. We may be alone, but we are alone together. Alone Together was directed by Callie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Sound engineer, Jeff Devine. Produced by Debbie O'Reilly and Guillermo Serrano. I'm Peg Fong, the writer and host. Let's be social. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ApostrophePod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.